Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Turn with me in your Bible, if you would, this morning to the 22nd chapter of the book of Acts. Acts 22, and then let's go to the Lord in prayer as you're finding that. Glory to God, just hold your place there and then we'll pray. Father, we thank you for your blessing. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the joy of the Lord. It is our strength, Father. Hallelujah, we're not ashamed of joy and rejoicing. It's part of, a part of what belongs to us as the children of God. We thank you for it, Father. We thank you for the demonstration of your power we thank you, Lord, for the healing anointing. We thank you for the anointing to bless and set people free, praise God. We thank you for your word. We approach your word today, mindful as we are that we live in a free nation. Glory to God. Then our rights are protected, to our rights to assemble together and so forth. Father, we pray for our government, for all who are in authority. Father, all who are over us in this land, and from Washington, D.C., right on down to the local level, every man, woman, Father, who's over us in government, we pray for them, that your hand would be upon them, that you would guide and direct them and, and oversee the, the, the things of our nation, Father. Glory to God. Move behind the scenes and influence people to do the right thing, Father. Where our government's concerned, glory to God that your will would be done in the United States of America. Glory to God that the gospel would flourish, that there would be an, an atmosphere that's conducive to the things of God and for the spreading of the gospel. We pray, Father, for the church's sake. We thank you for it. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And so we thank you, Lord, that we're free to preach this wonderful word, this inspired word of God that, that, that changes our lives, brings illumination to our hearts and understanding to our hearts and enlightens our minds and gives direction to us, Father. It rejuvenates our body, brings health and healing to us. Father, we thank you for it. Glory to God. We expect to receive insight and edification and instruction from the word of God today. We thank you for it ahead of time. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I'm gonna ask you to forgive me for taking an occasional, occasional uh, drink of water while I'm up here. My throat's a little dry. Hallelujah. Praise God. Have you found Acts chapter 22? We wanna look at verse number 14. We're gonna pick up pick up where we administered for several weeks. I was out last Sunday. I appreciate my lovely wife and co-pastor for uh, handling the services on Sunday for last week, praise God. And you know, I know y'all had a great time in the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. In the 14th chapter, or the 22nd chapter of the 14th verse, then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. You know, this was the word that was spoken to Saul of Tarsus, but this word applies to each one of us. Each one of us have been chosen that we should know God's will, that we should see him. Of course, we see him in the Bible, in the word of God, and we hear the voice of his mouth. This is the voice of his mouth, amen? And so this belongs to us, glory to God. And then one of our other texts is found over in the book of Ephesians. If you turn over there with me in the fifth chapter of Ephesians. 
and look at the 17th verse. Ephesians 5, 17 says, therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So we see here a second time where the scripture tells us that God wants us to know his will. You could say it like this, it's God's will that we know his will. Amen. And he also says in this verse that not knowing his will is unwise. Amen. Well, we have another scripture over in James says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Amen. And he'll give wisdom. God will direct you if you'll ask him. He'll give you wisdom if you ask him. He'll, he'll reveal his will to you if you ask him. Amen. It's available to all of the children of God. And, and then uh, we looked at this verse and it's over in Romans chapter 12. Let's look at that. Romans chapter 12. Hallelujah. Hold your place there and go to Romans chapter eight for just a moment. Glory to God. Hallelujah. In Romans chapter eight, the uh, verse we've, one verse we've looked at in this study is verse number 14. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Or like some translations read, everyone and only those who are sons of God are led by the spirit of God. This is God's unique way of leading his own children is he leads by his spirit. Well, where does he lead? How, how do we hear him? Where, where, how, does he, how does he lead? Where does that direction come from? Well, where is he? He's on the inside. Now, we know God is omnipresent. We know he's everywhere. That's, that's one uh, view and one uh, level of God's presence. But he is uniquely and especially present inside the believer. That's the most important thing in my life is not just knowing that God's everywhere. The most important thing to me is to know that he's in me. Because he's in me in a way that he isn't any other place. He, he's inside the believer. His presence in the believer is a unique way that he's with us and he manifests himself and there's a power associated with him being in us that, that's not manifested in his presence in the world. So he lives in us and he will lead us by his spirit on the inside of us. And then we go down to verse 16 and it says the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And so in this study, we've taken several weeks to, to establish and to lay a solid foundation for the fact that God leads his children from the inside, not from the outside. Isn't that right? And, and that's something that's, that has to be repeated over and over and over and over because the traditional understanding in the church and outside the church, the most common thing that people think is that God leads by circumstances. In other words, this happened to you, that happened to you. Well, that then must be the, the will of God. He allowed this to happen. He allowed that. We don't understand why it happened, but God knows what he's doing. And all things happen for a purpose, they say. And so God is, well, that, you know, uh, anybody could be led that way. You wouldn't have to be a child of God. You don't have to be uh, a child of God for, uh, you know, for God to lead through circumstances. Anybody could follow that. No, God has a way of leading his children on the inside. Yes. See, for the child of God, in the sense of his relationship with us, he's not somewhere else. He's not out there around us. He's in us. And so we've established that. And so I went through these lessons 
to, to clearly establish and to get you out of any habit or tendency that you might have to look to things of this life, to look to the natural realm, to try to discern the will of God. Instead, I want you to start looking to the inside, to your own spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in your spirit. He bears witness with your spirit and he'll deal with you about his plan and his purpose on the inside. And so I've taught this in, uh, in, in, in an effort to get you to become aware of the greater one who lives on the inside. And to become aware of, of the fact that you are a spirit and that God lives inside your spirit. And to become more sensitive to your inner man rather than being led by the outward man, being led by the flesh, feelings, and so forth. And so we've established that. But there's another side to this. There's, there's another side to the coin of being led by God. And it's here in this uh, 12th chapter of the book of Romans. Romans chapter 12, this is one of our texts, but I wanna go back and look more in detail at it today. Romans chapter 12. Let's read verse one and two together. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Verse number two. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He said, don't be conformed to this world. Now that, that, that word is given to each one of us. Each one of us are instructed to not be conformed to this world. The implication there is that the world will try to push you into its mold. The world will try to envelop you and draw you in to its way of doing and thinking and behaving. He said, don't go that way. Don't be conformed to the world. You know, it takes, it takes a, a deliberate effort. It, it takes a deliberate intention. It, it takes an action on your part to keep from being conformed to this world. Because the way the world thinks is being projected to us, broadcast to us, spoken to us, demonstrated to us in all forms of mass media to try to, to persuade the minds of people, this is the way to go. This is the way to think. This is the way to act. He said, don't be conformed to it. Well, if he said, don't be conformed to it, that means we can resist it. We don't have to be conformed to it. So that word's given to us as individuals. It's also given to us as a church. A church. Uh, uh, the local church isn't to be conformed to this world. We're not to go along with the way the world does things. Amen. We're not to be led by the trends of the world and what the world says. We, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't have a church that tries to uh, 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 be like the world in order to attract the world. They already have clubs to belong to. They don't need another one. Amen. Where, where the, the power of the gospel isn't in acting like the world. The power of the gospel is demonstrating the superiority of what we have in Christ. The truth trumps error every time. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, hallelujah. This verse says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed. Amen. Transformed. We need transformed saints. This word transformed in the original Greek, you know, the New Testament was originally written in Greek. 
Then it was translated into English and other Latin and then English and then a bunch of other languages. But the word that's translated transformed is the same word that was spoken of Jesus when he and Peter and James and John went up on the mountaintop, Matthew chapter 17, and he was transformed, transfigured. What happened to him when he was transfigured? Well, you see, the glory that was on the inside became manifest on the outside. And the Bible says that, he, that, his, even, that, that there was a bright light and even his clothing radiated a brilliancy. The glory of God that was on the inside was manifested on the outside. He was transfigured, transformed. Same word. God wants transfigured, transformed saints. In other words, he wants us to get what's on the inside to the outside. Instead of letting the outside dictate the inside, we let the inside dictate the outside. Hallelujah. <laughs> glory to God. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. That you may prove or discern what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, this is one of our foundational texts, but we didn't look at it very, very uh, much in depth. We didn't really spend any time on it, but we're going to today. He said he wants us to be transformed, how? By the renewing of our mind, so that we'll be able to discern the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The other side of the coin of being led of the Spirit, one side is listening to the Holy Spirit that's on the inside of you. The other side is listening to the Word of God. Renewing your mind with the Word of God. Renewing your mind with the Word of God is an essential key I started to say step. It's not a step. It's an essential key because it, it, it's more than a step. It, it's, it's, a, it's a profound uh, foundation for receiving understanding of the will of God. And in order to understand the will of God, you must renew your mind to the word of God. Amen. Amen. Now, listening to the spirit on the inside of you has to do with the spiritual realm. This, he's talking about here, has to do with the soulish realm. The renewing of your mind has to do with the soulish realm. Now, uh, you'll notice that he said that these believe, now these were Christians. The book of Romans was written to saved people. People who were born again and even filled with the spirit. And he said, I beg you, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. You know, you have to do something with your body. Because your body in its natural state has not changed. The new birth didn't affect your body. Your body is still mortal. Your body is unchanged. Now, thank God, one day it will be changed. The Bible says in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we'll all be changed. This mortal will put on immortality. Amen? This corruptible will put on incorruption. We'll be changed. But in, in, before that happens, and until that happens, we have to do something with our body. We can't let our body just do whatever it wants to. We can't let the desires of the flesh, 
the passions of the flesh, the, the interests and the inclinations of the flesh and of the natural man dictate how we behave. If we do, we're going to end up in, in deep trouble. Isn't that right? We see Christians whose lives have been shipwrecked all around us because they wouldn't put their flesh under. Now we must do something with our flesh. He said, present it to God as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto him. But he also said we have to do something with our minds. It's not God's responsibility to change the way you think. It's our responsibility. It's my responsibility and your responsibility to think right. And you can't think right without knowing God's word. Because, you know, it, it, your, your, your brain or your mind is like a, 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 a real compact supercomputer. And, you know, it, it, it's capable of some marvelous things, but it all determines, it, it's all determined by what goes in. Garbage in, garbage out. Isn't that right? Truth in, truth out. You're, you're, you, you have to program your mind with the word of God. And the reason for that, the reason it's called renewing is because your mind came right. But growing up in this natural world, you began to, you can't escape it. None of us escaped it. You can't, no one can escape the constant information that's being fed to us from this world. Most of it is wrong. Most of the information, most of the ideas, most of the, uh, of the philosophies, the things that govern the way people think and act and operate didn't come from God. It's in this world. It's contrary to the world. And those things have an effect on your mind. It makes you think the way you do. And so you have to get into the word and renew your mind. Reprogram this supercomputer on, on, on top of your shoulders. Amen. Now, we, we've talked about the fact that the Holy Spirit lives in our spirit. We need to touch, though we don't have time today for any lengthy demonstration or, or talk about this. We need to understand the, that you as a person, all men, all human beings are tripartite beings. That means composed of three things, spirit, soul, and body. You are a spirit, you have a soul, you live in a body. Now I know this, Growing up in, in uh, a church, and most of you if, you, if you grew up in church or even if you didn't, most people grew up with the concept of, of, of human beings as bipartite, having two parts, body and soul. Isn't that what most people grew up thinking? There's body and soul. In other words, there's, there's the, the outward man, the physical man, and then there's that inward part that, that doesn't die when the body dies, and that's the soul of man that lives forever. So most people came, came up because the church hasn't understood this and, and really until recent times. I, I really thank God for Reverend Kenneth E. Hagan because he brought to the body of Christ the people talk about him being the father of the faith movement. He brought a lot of truth into the body of Christ. And one thing that he helped firmly establish in the body of Christ is the idea that we are, first of all, a spirit. Not a soul, but a spirit. 
who possesses a soul and lives in a body. See, that was revolutionary to me. When I saw that and began to understand it, it it, it answered so many things, questions in the Bible. It helped connect to so many things that, that weren't connecting properly. Now, until recent times, and I, and I, and I honestly say that uh, uh, Kenneth E. Hagan is probably uh, solely responsible uh, today for the understanding of the spirit nature of Christians. It didn't exist. I mean, I'm not saying that no one knew it. There were people who knew it, but it wasn't widely understood in, in the body of Christ like it is today. And, and uh, he pointed out these verses of scripture. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter five. 1 Thessalonians chapter five. Brother Hagen used to point out like I have, and, it's in, in, and it was true in my life. Most people think that, or did think, and people who haven't been enlightened today still think that, there, that man is a two-part being body and soul, and that the body lives and uh, grows old and dies, but then the, the soul lives on. And most Christians thought that it was the soul of man that was born again. And yet there are scriptures in the New Testament that talk of the spirit, the soul and the body. This is one of them. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse number 23 says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ notice he says I pray or I desire that your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless well there must be three things then can you see that that there's a spirit as well as a soul and a body well, is the body and the soul the same? No. Well, the, the soul and the spirit aren't the same. These are three distinct things. If you go also over to Hebrews chapter four, Hebrews chapter four, you'll notice this passage. For the word of God is living, this is verse 12, Hebrews four twelve. The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Notice the piercing even to the division of spirit and soul. Some, some scholars, and I've read some of these uh, uh, Bible scholars, and they've said, well, the spirit and the soul is basically the same thing. It's just different, you know, it's different terminology for the same thing. Well, that couldn't be true because it's the same thing. The, the, the word of God wouldn't be trying to divide it. God's not interested in cutting up something that doesn't need to be cut up. Is that right? He's not, he's not dividing things that, that are the, that, that he's not dividing one thing, splitting it down the middle. Is that right? No, it's two different things. The word of God is sharp, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. The soul and spirit are not the same thing. Go with me over to John chapter three. John chapter three. John chapter three. 
Hallelujah. Verse number three, Jesus answering Nicodemus said, most assuredly I say to you, unless, you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Now I understand that most people were raised either in church or out of church, just the collective uh, uh, misunderstanding of our culture is that when a person gets saved, their soul, when a person accepts the Lord Jesus Christ, their soul is saved because they understood uh, that incorrectly that the soul was the the part of man that gets born again. But the, the soul does not get saved at the new birth. Now, now, hold your seat. Don't let anybody run out. You were right in your understanding that a person believes on the Lord Jesus Christ and he's saved. In other words, he passes from death to life and the salvation experience when you're born again is an instant thing. It's something that happens in a moment in time. It happens as soon as you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and confess him as Lord, you're born again right then and, and you're saved, you're going to heaven. That's absolutely right. It is just the misunderstanding is, is, is most people have been accustomed to thinking that that was something that happened in the soul. It doesn't happen in the soul, it happens in the spirit. It's the spirit of man that's born again. Remember, again, you're not a two-part being, you're a three-part being. You are a spirit, you have a soul, your spirit and soul live in your body, but the spirit and soul are two different things. It's not the spirit, excuse me, it's not the soul of man that's born again, it's the spirit. Now notice what Jesus said here. He said, you must be born again. Verse number three, surely I say to you, unless one is born again, there's a a note in my Bible indicating there's a note in the margin and it says, from above. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born from above, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then he explains it in verse number six. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit. That's being born from above. See, the new birth is a birth from above. It's a new birth that comes from the spirit of God. Notice he didn't say that which is born of the spirit is soul. That which is of the spirit is spirit. So it's the spirit of man that's born again. That's the part of you whenever you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and you answered the the call of God, the tug of the spirit on your heart when you heard the gospel and you submitted your heart to him, believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, trusted him as your savior. It was your spirit that was instantly changed. Thank God for that. The new birth which is the rebirth of the human spirit is something that happens in a moment of time and it cannot be improved upon. The new birth is perfect because it's totally a work of God as a result of your faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit through the word because the Bible talks about being born again of the word, not of corruptible things, but of incorruptible by by the word of God. 
Well, notice in the verse we just read, Jesus said, a man must be born of the water and of the spirit. The water refers to the word. The spirit, of course, is the Holy Spirit. It's the washing of the water of regeneration. That happens in the new birth. But that your spirit was born again and it's of God, the, the recreated person that came to life on the inside of you when you accepted Christ and believed on him. That, that new man is perfect. He's all of God. You understand? Now, that doesn't mean that you can't mature spiritually. You can mature spiritually. You know, a baby, when, when a baby's born, uh, if there's nothing wrong with the baby, if the baby's healthy, then the baby's perfect. I'm talking about physically. But though it's just because it's perfect doesn't mean it's mature. You don't bring a newborn home from the hospital and the next day he's mowing the yard. Pastor Greg said, I wish. <laughs> no, he can't mow the yard yet. There's not much he can do, but there's nothing wrong with him. He's perfect. He's just the way God created him. Everything's working the way it should work for his age. He, he, he can't mow the yard yet. He's not capable of that, but it's not because he's, there's something wrong with him. He has to mature. Well, the Christian still ha the Christian is born, when you're born again, your spirit man is a baby in Christ. You're a spiritual baby. You have to mature. That doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. Unless you fail to mature. If, if, if at the age of 16, the, the, this, this child is still not capable of mowing the grass, something's wrong. And, and, the, and the parents here are nodding their heads saying, yeah, we're gonna find out why too. We're gonna straighten that out. Isn't that right? So, so a child has to mature. You have to grow spiritually, but there's nothing wrong with you. You're, you, you the spirit on the inside that's born again is a work of God. Yeah. Hallelujah. It's called a new creation. Yes. Hallelujah. So that takes place in the inner man. The saving of the soul is a process. Now, I know that's new to a lot of people. Because they'll think, well, you know, you're preaching something that, no. What, what you've always understood was right, except you just had your terms wrong. What you thought happened to the soul really happens to the spirit. Now, I'll show you this. Go with me over to James. <clears throat> James chapter one. James chapter one. Verse 19, so then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, it's interesting that the Apostle James was writing this letter to the church. This wasn't written to unbelievers. Notice verse, uh, chapter, one, chapter one, verse number two, my brethren. Chapter 19, so then, my brethren. Uh, uh, chapter two, verse one, my brethren. So this, this passage or, or this epistle was not written to unsaved people. It was written to people who were born again. People who already had made Jesus the Lord of their life. They were saved in the sense that we normally, uh, the way we normally use the word, they were saved. They were born again. They, if they died, they were going to heaven. They were a child, they were children of God, each and every one of them. And yet, 
He instructs these saved people who are born again, have the Holy Spirit inside of them. He's saying, uh, don't be, be slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Notice, born again people have to be instructed about wrath. See, uh, unless you do something with your body and with your soul, how many of you, how many of you understand that, that there might be a little bit of wrath left in your body? In the, in the natural man, huh? Sometimes, you know, if you, if you get away from the word for a few days and haven't read your Bible and haven't prayed and haven't been in church, somebody can just punch your button and all of a sudden you're full of rage. <laughs> Born again. Full of the spirit. But see, we have, to, we have to not let the outward man dictate what we do. We let the inward man dictate what we do. See? He said, put your flesh under. Submit your body as a living sacrifice. Don't yield to it. Don't be conformed to the world. Don't be conformed to the natural man. Be conformed to the inward man. Be transformed. So he's saying, you know, to, to not... Uh, not, not be quick to, to blow your top. Verse 21, therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. How many of you understand that filthiness, this is talking about uh, sin. He said you have to lay it aside. Well, you wouldn't have to lay it aside unless, unless it, it had some activity. Even though you're born again, you, you, have to, you have to lay aside the sin that easily besets us. We have to lay it aside. We have to say, no, I'm not going to act like that. I'm not going to let filthiness or wickedness get a hold of me. He said, lay it aside and receive with meekness. That word meekness means humility. Receive with humility the implanted word. Now notice, which is able to save your souls. So he's writing to Christians and he's saying that the word of God is able to save your souls. That means their souls weren't saved. Isn't that what that means? The word is able to save your soul. Well, if your soul was already saved, you wouldn't need to be saved. Your soul wouldn't need to be saved if it was already saved. He said the word is able to save your soul, but you have to receive it. So that's what I mean when I said that the saving of the soul is a process. It's an ongoing process. Now again, being saved, quote unquote, being saved is not a process. That happens at the new birth. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you are born again. That's not a process. It's, not so, it, it, it's, it's something that the Spirit of God does and it's done. But the saving of the soul, what people have, people thought that was the saving of the soul. No, that's the new birth, the recreation of the Spirit. The saving of the soul is something that, you, that, that is ongoing, that you continually submit to the Word of God. Now, what is the soul of man? If it's not, it, what's the difference between the soul and the Spirit? God is a spirit. He is a spirit being. Angels are spirit beings. They don't have bodies. They, they're spirit. They have spirit bodies, but it's in the spiritual realm. They're spirits, 
individual spirits, demons, Satan himself, all of the host of darkness, they're all spirit beings. Well, God is a spirit. All of his creations are spirits. And so when God created man in the beginning, he created a spirit like himself. We are spirits. And in that, we're in the same class of being that God is in, or angels, or even demons. All of us are spirits. That's, that's, the, that's the part that knows God, the part of man on the inside that responds to, to the tugging of the spirit that, that when the gospel is presented and the Holy Spirit convicts that person, he's, it's in their heart. There's something in here that pulls towards God. That's the spirit of man. The soul of man uh, it's easy to understand this when you understand that the Greek word that's translated soul is spelled P-S-U-C-H-E, suke, P-S-U-C-H-E, suke. It's the root word that the, that the English word psyche comes from and all of the extensions of that word, psychiatry, psychology. The, the soul of man, P-S-U-C-H-E, suke is the word that's translated soul. That has to do with the mind, the will, and the emotions. The part of man that, that uh, psychologists and so forth study, they study the soul of man. It's, the, it's an invisible part of man. And that, that's why Kenneth Hagin coined this expression, and I think it's excellent. He said, think of yourself this way. You are a spirit, you possess a soul, and you live in a body. So you can see that the soul of man, the mind, the will, and the emotions, your free will, your right to choose God or not choose God, to submit to him or not submit to him. Your free will, that's part of the soulish realm. It's very precious. He said, the word of God will save your soul. Paul said, renew your mind. Well, the mind is part of the soul. And then there's another uh, passage over in the book of Psalms. Psalm 23, very famous psalm, well-known. People like to recite it. It's more than poetry. Amen. It's the word of God. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Restores my soul. Uh, what, what does that mean? Well, you know, you have an old piece of furniture. Maybe it's been in the family a long time, but it's, you know, it's been abused and not taken care of and it's banged up, you know, and uh, maybe it's sitting out in the garage. You've had paint cans sitting on it, you know. It's an old cabinet or something. And you said, well, you know, this is, this is really a valuable piece of furniture. I'm gonna restore it. You have an old chair and the, you know, the cushions and fabric is all worn off and, and the varnish is, is worn off of it. It doesn't look nice. What do you do? You, you strip it down, you rebuild it, you restore it. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. He restores my soul. Well, how does he do that? With the word. Receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul, restore your soul, renew your soul in line with the word of God. Amen? Praise God. 
Well, I've got that started. <laughs> Glory to God. I, I, I'm going to say it again. It's essential and I'll explain to you why. I don't know if I'll teach tonight on it or, or next Sunday, but I'll explain to you why that's essential. That you have your mind renewed with the word of God. But, but in, a, in a short capsule, this is why. When the Holy Spirit speaks to you in your inward man, he speaks the language of the word. That's what he speaks. And if you don't know the language of the word, if the word's not abiding in you, if you're not renewing your mind with the word of God, you won't recognize what he's saying to you. It'll go completely past you because the Holy Spirit speaks the language of the word. You know, how many of you, you know, we've got a lot of people in here in the medical profession. Got a whole lot of nurses. Uh, Dr. Rimmer, he's not here today. He's on call. We've got Dr. Chittum back here. He's a retired dentist. Got a lot of people that are familiar with the medical. How many of you ever been to the doctor and, and uh, have you noticed I sometimes talk a different language? <laughs> huh? And you have to say, Doc, put it, put it in my terms. Put it in layman's terms that I can understand. Well, thank God they can do that. But you know what? When, when, when two doctors are discussing a case, what would you think if one doctor, you know, when doctors talk, they talk doctor language, you know, don't they? Well, what would you think if, if two doctors are having a conversation and one of them keeps saying, excuse me, could you put that in layman's terms? I don't quite understand what you mean. And then so he's, he goes on, he's talking to medical, he says, excuse me, I don't understand that. Could you, could you put that in, in, in layman's terms? No. He's a, he's a doctor, he's expected to know the language. Well, we're children of God, we're expected to know the language that the Holy Spirit talks. He talks word language. And, and, it, and it's not his obligation to put it in terms the world would understand. He'll put it in terms that he's already spoken, his word. It's our obligation to know the word. If we don't know the word, we don't know the language he talks, then whenever he tries to tell us something, we don't understand it. We don't pick it up, it just goes right by us. Well, we'll talk about that next week. Hallelujah. God is good. He has good things for you. Praise God. Hallelujah. He's always leading and directing. He leads by his spirit in line with the word. Spiritual leadings from the Holy Spirit sound like the word of God. Hallelujah. And so you have to be conversant in the word of God in order to recognize his leading. Amen. Well, praise God. Let's stand. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.